Hey, what's up, guys? My name is Adam, and this is the Do Big Things Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Big Things Crewing, where we want you to do big things. We offer coaching to get you to the start line, whatever that may look like for you, and we can help you get to the finish as well. Whether that finish is an actual finish line of a race or the finish of an adventure you've been thinking about, we've got you. Or maybe you want to improve your fitness or drop a couple pounds. We would love to be a part of that as well. Look us up, big-things-crewing.com. My guests today are a team, a squad, a collaboration. Most importantly, they complement each other really well. John Denise just completed Nolan's 14. That is stringing together 14 14,000 foot peaks. It's a 100 mile point to point adventure. His wife, Jennifer Denise, is the perfect yang to his yin. She not only crewed him throughout the whole thing and into the finish, but she was there for him through all three of his attempts this summer. If you want to know how to crew someone through an ultra marathon or an adventure like Nolan's, pull out your pen and pad. John may not have an official Nolan's finish because it didn't exactly happen within the allotted 60-hour time cutoff, but believe me when I say he finished nonetheless. We talk about the commitment it takes to get a project like this done and just how important it was for him to finish what he'd set out to do, even if it takes longer than the 60 hours. John and Jen's commitment and tenacity to this project this summer was super impressive, and I loved not only hearing John talk about it, but I really dug hearing his wife and crew chief's side of the story as well. I have absolutely nothing but good things to say about these two, and it's an honor to call them friends. Give it up for John and Jen Denise. Life is short. Do big things. Hey, guys. Hey, Adam. Hey, how's it going? Going good. Good. Okay. How are you feeling, John? You know, uh, I'm hanging in there. <laughs> yeah. What does that I'm not, mean? I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> no, I've been like around, below my legs. I look like a cadaver. Uh, I'm so swollen. And my feet yeah. obviously are destroyed. And my shins are banged up. Uh, my voice, as you can tell, isn't so great yet. <clears throat> it comes and goes, but... Uh, Still a good amount of coughing. Um, sure. So I'd say lungs and knees below my knees are pretty bad. Uh, everything else is, I'd say, coming along. Oh, my throat and the back of my tongue are pretty horrific too. But coming along every day, maybe a little bit better. <laughs> okay. Okay. Do you think that's from the smoke, or do you think it's just breathing in dirt and dust for seventy-two hours? I don't know. I mean, Jen looked at the forecast a lot too, and she she's she's the the weather and you know forecast maven, and smoke. You know, looking at that as well as just visible conditions, I think we had a great window for smoke in terms of not having much. 
Um, sure. I agree. If anything, it was very light, light smoke, but it could have contributed to it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think it's, I attribute it just to irritation from, you know, it's, it's an overuse injury <laughs> for, for yeah. lungs and, and the throat. And it's just so much breathing over a long period of time. I don't know if you get this, but when I run just, you know, regular ultras you know, for a day or two or afterwards, I'm a little congested in my chest and uh, coughing up some stuff. But yeah, for Nolan's, it's been a heck of a lot worse. And I, you know, I guess it's also the altitude. I mean, you're over the, I think the average altitude for this whole line is over 12,000 feet. So you're up high for a long period of time. It's dry. You breathe in like a son of a gun for a long period of time uh, doing all that climbing. And um, mm -hmm. it's just so much air going in and out. And yeah, there's gotta be some dust matter in there too that irritates stuff. But um, for me, especially my last three, well, all my attempts this year, um, I've had some pretty significant lung issues in terms of just, you know, congestion during and after. The worst was, was the first one, but, um, yeah. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, I saw you guys this weekend, and I climbed most of the way up Chavano. And then after, uh, you know, we went our separate ways, I climbed a couple more 14ers over the weekend. And just from those peaks, I felt like I was congested and you know, blowing, you know, bloody snot out of my nose and coughing junk up. So I can only imagine yeah. how much you were actually breathing in. And then I think I mentioned to you guys yesterday, we drove from uh, Buena Vista up to Leadville and it was so smoky. You couldn't see one of those peaks. Yeah. So you guys I think that's, that's how it was. I think pretty much around everywhere yesterday. It was the same here in Summit County. We couldn't see across the valley. We were, we were so socked in with smoke. Yeah. So you guys picked the exact right time to get in there and get it done because, you know, yesterday it was all smoke. Today it's snowing. So yeah. <laughs> yeah, we felt confident in the weather window, Adam. I had a lot of worry about the smoke window, but at some point you just have to roll the dice and go with it because you just don't have any sort of forecast on that beyond like eight hours. Yeah, yeah. Well, you guys nailed it. So well done there. And Jen, I know that, that you do a lot of work there. Um, you are, you know, John's crew chief. I mean... Like, what are some of the biggest challenges of this project from, from a crew chief's point of view? I mean, you've been out there with John for all three attempts this summer. Um, I know that you go through a lot, too. You know, you're staying awake. You're monitoring that dot on your phone, just looking to see where John is. Like, what are some of the biggest challenges with crewing something of this magnitude? So I think some of the biggest challenges for me, one is – uh, just knowing the kind of suffering and challenges he goes through and that we're not together. Like we've gone out and done a lot of adventures together where it's easier to be with him than to uh, kind of be separated from him, knowing mm -hmm. the challenges that he's facing and then wondering how things are going when, we, when we're separated for like that long stretch along the seven mm -hmm. in the middle there, it's like 20 hours and you're kind of just wondering how everything is going. Um, uh, otherwise, I would say, you know, the rest of the stuff I feel pretty comfortable with. Um, 
it's a lot of driving around. It's a lot of slow driving for me. I'm driving the truck and the camper. So when I'm driving like the back roads and stuff like that, it, it's real slow going. Um, but other than that, I don't think there's any really huge challenges for me. I think it's uh, mostly challenges for John. Yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, Adam, I, she's, she's being humble, but, uh, <laughs> you know, I would think that if I were in her position, I'd get a little more sleep and, you know, to eat here and there. She doesn't have a hot meal. You know, she's so focused on making sure that when I am coming in and where I am and she's there at the right time, that she's prepared for every single detail that possibly I could need. And like mm -hmm. down to the point of she's got notes of things that she needs. She wants to make sure that she reminds me of that you know, are you doing this and moving forward on the next peaks, you know, make sure you keep this in mind, those types of things. And she, so she's constantly buzzing with, um, you know, making sure that all of those details are taken care of. Uh, and it's a lot of driving around also on rough roads. I mean, going into Winfield and uh, Cottonwood to crew me, those are rough roads to drive on, especially mm -hmm. with, you know, with, with a, with a big vehicle and in the middle of the night and, all, all different times and finding places for her to to stay i mean being a you know being a woman out there there mm -hmm. she's run into some real jerks out there as well that have uh really? not been appropriate to her and that's something that really bothers me that i hate sending her out there like that um yeah. and you know we put a lot of thought into that in the last couple of attempts too is where does she go between her times seeing me which often is, you know, a day, she, you know, between Winfield and Cottonwood, that's 20 plus hours where, you know, we're, we're separated and she's alone out there um, and she can take care of herself. But there's, there's a lot of just really antisocial people out there sometimes that just do inappropriate things and, and, scare, and just want to scare people. And that kind of pisses me off. No kidding. Was there anything specifically? I mean, that they did to scare her like uh, like what happened out there just uh um, there were some guys at, at uh, one of the places that i was parked at that were uh they had like a bullhorn and were just yelling some uh inappropriate things uh um, in order to try to scare me sort of thing wow unreal yeah. i mean you meet yeah. all kinds of weirdos out there <laughs> and uh yeah. And if I remember right, John, you got a beer can thrown at your ass out there on Antero. So it's like, there's just, in the middle of nowhere, there's plenty of weirdos to be found. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something, I, I mean, I just don't identify with, you know, bringing fear or discomfort onto another person on purpose. It just makes no sense to me. I just wonder how these people are raised, you know, and, I, and I'm a lover of humanity. I think people are um, good in general, but it's amazing the jerks you run into out there. Yeah. Yeah. That's too bad. That's crazy. Unfortunate. Wow. But anyway, Jen, did you get a full night's sleep out there at all? Um, sort of. I had the opportunity to between Winfield and Cottonwood, um, uh -huh. but Adam, I'm just always, you know, checking in on the, on the dot, and uh, mm -hmm. and even when I lay down and and close my eyes, I I just have a lot of trouble sleeping when he's out mm -hmm. there. So I catch a little cat nap. That's what I picture is is you almost constantly waking up, checking the phone, checking to see where he's at, 
checking the weather. Yeah. Yep. Checking <laughs> so, the smoke map. Yep. Yep. And, and John, as, as we mentioned a couple of times out there, you're not necessarily a numbers guy, but Jen, I know you're a numbers person. <laughs> so, <laughs> tell what, so tell me what that looks like in terms of, of your planning uh, and crewing. Are you like making out uh, Excel spreadsheets on, on where he's going to be and, and at what time yeah. or, or what does that look like yeah. for you? Yeah, exactly. We have a spreadsheet. And so we have a spreadsheet of all, of all his uh recon and then a spreadsheet of all his attempts and so we have like a general outline of what he usually does time-wise and so um we really um are very focused even when john runs ultras like not like hitting certain numbers like not becoming time obsessed like it's like run at you know this kind of pace like don't burn yourself out you know the length of the event so like we have a general sense of the numbers that john usually hits and uh, of his three attempts this summer, some of them, the segments are within minutes uh, of each other over the three right. attempts. So um, we have a general sense from that, but it's, we really went out, especially this time, not like super focused on getting stressed about the time and not wasting any energy about that. That had happened on the second attempt on one of the segments uh, I had sent him out and said, hey, you know, try to hit the summit by this time and try to hit the next crew access point by this time and it really backfired and it was a mistake on my part and it really stressed him it would have been so much better if i just sent him out saying go out and be your strongest you can be and i'll see you at the next crew point mm-hmm. yeah yeah that's a good point i mean uh if you're uh laying down expectations on him that that he is you know putting on himself and trying to meet yeah. those times and just be extra stress out there that you know if you're doing something this big, that it's just stress you don't need, you know? So yeah, that it, makes sense. It's just a waste of energy at that point. You know, he's better off using his energy to go up and down the mountains rather than stressing about what the clock says. He's moving the best he can move and that's what needs to happen. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Now, John, so we know that you've spent the whole summer out there sort of, you know, reconning, I guess, a couple recon trips. I mean, they were, you know, full on attempts and both the both of you were out there and it was all well planned, but you know, it took three attempts for you to get this done. Um, what kind of things did you do um, differently this time or what did you have to pull out of yourself to get it done this time? Yeah. So I'll just say real quickly, the way I view it is the first attempt uh, we stopped out of medical concern. We were concerned about John's breathing. He had a couple of mm-hmm. symptoms around breathing that he'd never seen before. And we've spent a lot of time in the mountains, a lot of time up high. And this, it was scary to us not having seen these symptoms before. So we stopped mm-hmm. that one on that one. The mm-hmm. second one, he stopped going up Princeton at an avalanche. And that was uh, the confluence of three factors that just came together at like the worst possible time. The first was that it had just turned dark. The second was that he was doing the bushwhack up Princeton's East, East Ridge, which is um, some difficult terrain, particularly in the dark. And the third was that I hadn't forced him to sleep at Avalanche. He was still like putting up numbers that made 60 possible. And so we were both scared to have him sleep and then, and then lose the possibility of 60. But had he slept, he most likely would have made way better time going up Princeton. And all three of those things came together in an overwhelming way for him. And he felt unsafe to continue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah. Just as you know, Adam, you, you do these things, you, you learn stuff about yourself. And uh, I kind of discovered that I'm more, I'm more, I'm more cautious than I pictured myself to be. Uh, and you know, like when I, when Jennifer and I do big things, you know, we've, you know, hiked and we've climbed in the Himalayas and done all the Adirondack high peaks, all the 14ers in Colorado. These are things we've all done together. So we, our basis of our teamwork is doing these things together, not always just me doing stuff and Jen, Jen uh, supporting me. Sure. Uh, and, you know, we have different approaches. Jen is quite conservative risk wise. Uh, and so compared to her, I always saw myself as, you know, the big risk taker. But doing these things by myself and this massive thing, which is so hard, uh, and taking all of these attempts to do it, I, I, I kind of came to the conclusion that, it, you know, and this took me more than three attempts. Let's, let's, you know, let's be straight that this, this is my fifth attempt <laughs> going back to 2016. Yeah, this project has been in the works for years. <laughs> it has. I think what I've been doing mentally, emotionally on this thing has been probing. I think I've been probing a little further each time. And mm -hmm. even with my, my three attempts this season, the first attempt, yeah, like Jen said, I had lung issues and I was cautious about that. It's not like I was spitting up blood, but I was feeling, I was getting symptoms and stress in the lungs that I hadn't really had previously. So it was something different. I knew I didn't want to risk permanent damage. The second time I got past you know, avalanche. So I got past Yale and went further and got about a thousand feet up Princeton in the middle of the night. I was exhausted. I hadn't slept at all. And I was just feeling uncertain about proceeding on that route, knowing what was ahead because I hadn't scouted it in the dark. And you and I had talked about this. I went out and did it a few weeks later. Mm -hmm. um, I was familiar with the route, but not in the dark. And I knew I was exhausted. I knew my decision-making was starting to get more difficult. And I knew I was ahead in terms of rock hopping, big talus. There's a long way up that ridge. And I didn't want to be some guy out trying Nolan's that has to call SAR. And that became important to me. And that's when I bailed. I said, you know, I'm just not feeling safe about going confident. My risk the risk balance got out of balance for me. And I guess I'm not, just not one of those people that just is like, I'm going to go for it and summit or death. Um, and I, you know, I, I wasn't, I didn't really know that about myself. I thought I was a bit more aggressive than that. So I've been probing, I think, <laughs> all of these previous attempts. And finally, you know, just this past week, it, it came together where I had the confidence on the entire route. Um, and also, you know, Brant, Brant Ketterer, uh, met up met up with me on Yale, and that was like almost another event for me. It was so great having his company uh, on the set, you know, from from Yale on, uh, mm -hmm. that it was just a huge mental uh, boost for me uh, to to be able to move forward. Yeah, for sure. When you say probing, do you mean like your athletic performance or probing um, something mentally? Like, what do you mean when you say probing? Like. Um, I'm just picturing like, um, like each time you're, you're trying as hard as you can, or you're, or you're making it to your sort of limit or your cutoff point, And then you back off. And then the next time you go a little bit further. Um, yeah. Kind of like that. Maybe, I don't know. Kind of, kind of like that, Adam. I, I, I'm I just, yeah. 
probing, you know, like you said, uh, just going going a little bit further, getting to a point to that I'm really not comfortable with. I mean, yeah, you're uncomfortable on many parts of Nolan's, but getting into places where I'm unfamiliar and I haven't tested before. Uh, Is this mentally or physically? It's a combination of both, I would say, mentally uh, and also kind of gauging where I am physically uh, in terms of, and that's that's been a challenge for me. I definitely slow down after, you know, Yale or so, because I get to a point of uh, fatigue where I know I'm not agile uh, and, you know, uh, agile enough on, you know, heavy boulder on the the talus fields and on very difficult terrain. So I take that, I I end up taking it very cautiously. You know, it's the reason I'll never make 60, you know. Um, I'm not gliding over the big technical terrain anymore. I'm, I'm a bit stiffer and uh, you know, less, less limber and, and agile, uh, and mm-hmm. to moving over that t- type of terrain. And uh, I feel that, and, but that's where, you know, patience and kind of putting the time can the, the 60 hour time constraint, uh, further out of my mind was helpful. I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm going slow here. I know I'm going slow. I told Grant one time and I said, Hey man, I, I know I'm going, uh, geologically slow here. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm going to geologic time. Not, don't worry. Don't look at, don't look at your watch. Uh, but that's just the way it is. I have to be patient uh, because I don't want to, you know, really have a really bad injury. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you, you did it the smart way and, you know, for, you know, guys our age, when you start looking at that 60 hour time, I mean, that is, you know, something that elites are able to do, you know, yeah. and, and you know, Julian's, uh, I remember him giving you that word of advice, just get the 60 hour thing out of your head and just go out there and try and finish the line. And I think yeah. that that was really smart advice. And I don't think that necessarily applies to everyone, but I feel yeah. like you were able to take that advice and say, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Let's go out and do this no matter how long it takes. And that was like, we actually went out on every attempt this summer with two goals. The first goal was to hit 60 and the second goal was to finish the line in one push, but they're a bit competing with each other for at least the first half or the first 60% of the event. If you're really pushing for that 60, um, then you're not sleeping in places that maybe you need to sleep to continue on. And maybe you're stressing and wasting a bit of energy thinking about all these, you know, numbers that you have to hit along the way. Um, so we did always have the goal of even if we missed 60 of, of finishing the line, but uh, it's interesting how those things all kind of competed with each other. Uh, and we didn't get any of them up until the last try. Yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. Well, I mean, it, you almost did the thing three times this summer. I mean, you did it. You did 10 peak times, correct? And then you finally did the 14 peaks on the third try. And so, I mean, that's a lot of peaks, dude. (laughs) I was really worried, Adam. I I had always felt that like multiple attempts in the same summer just didn't make sense. I thought that it would be really hard to be um, fully mentally and physically recovered and to have like to generate enough excitement and energy to want to go again. And, you know, we were really concerned when he went out on number two, you know, I, I said, 
I just hope it's not going to feel like boring, you know, that you're just repeating the same thing. But that wasn't John's experience on number two at all. He felt like it was a whole different course again and a whole different experience. And so he was well recovered at each attempt. It was almost like a, you know, a perfect um, training for the, for the next one. And uh, so that wasn't a concern at all. And, and he felt ready to go, which was really the, you know, mentally the, the thing that we needed. And, and he never felt at any point that it was super repetitive, you know, and, and kind of boring. Yeah. What do you attribute that to John? I mean, I'm picturing myself, if I was out there going for three big pushes in one summer, I think that it probably would get old at some point. It's like the same old peak again. And here I am at peak 10, super exhausted again. How am I going to continue? Like, how did you push through? That's a good question. I'm not 100% sure because I do get, I do like to do new things all the time. I'd way rather just try some new route, even if it's a local trail running route, as opposed to doing the same thing over and over again. Um, and I was, what Jan was saying, I, that was my concern too. I didn't know how I was going to feel, you know, as the next attempt was coming up, you know, and Jen and I didn't always know we were going to do a next attempt until maybe a week prior, you know, we wouldn't even talk about it for a while, Right. but you know, then when a day or two and even the night before came up, I found that I was excited to go again. And so, yeah, why is that? I, I think because it's such a huge and complicated thing to do. Um, I was constantly tweaking little lines uh, on, the, on the course. Uh, even my last attempt, I took some, some, cha- some uh, different lines than I, I had ever taken before. And I've been out there a lot. Um, up Yale, slightly different. Um, pretty much the same over Bull Hill. Um, a few other areas where I did little little different lines that actually worked out better. Oh, coming coming off Oxford down uh, in the final stretch down to Pine Creek, found a little different line. So that stuff I enjoyed doing. I'm like, oh, this is better. I've been looking for a better, you know, I've been hoping for a better uh, way through this area. So I think those little things kept me interested. Um, and just the overall challenge of it, uh, I was, com- you know, just committed. I wanted to get this thing done. And... Uh, <laughs> that really kept me going. And I, I, you know, I really wanted to have that moment <laughs> that at the very end there, when we saw, you know, when we walked into, um, into blanks, uh, I've been fantasizing about that for a long time. And every time I saw someone else do it, uh, I thought about what that might feel like for me. Yeah. So that was a huge motivator. Oh yeah. Yeah, dude, it was a special moment watching you come into the finish for sure, because I know how hard you worked not only this summer, but over what? It's like the last five years. And I I think that you mentioned uh, having some data. And uh, so you had done like while you were scouting this over the last, I think it's five years, you you summited each of these 14 peaks for a, a total of like 94 times or something like that. Is that right? Yeah, just yeah. So 94, 94 summits. It's, it's, we started. I started in two thousand sixteen with you, with uh, with Julian. So okay. yeah, ninety four summits, somewhere around three hundred thousand feet of climbing, and I don't know between four hundred, four hundred and five hundred miles on online. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's incredible. I mean, and, <laughs> I wonder who yeah. else has done that much out there. I don't know. I mean, Some other I guess probably Andrew Hamilton, but I'm trying to think Hamilton. if there's anybody. 
Yeah, Hamilton, but I mean, who else has been out there that much? I mean, you're, um, I mean, Hamilton's the godfather. We got to think of a nickname for you now. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. It's got to be, yeah, it's got to be, it's got to be Andrew. And he is the godfather. For sure. So what I'm curious about is like, what are you guys' conversations like at home? So, you know, three attempts this summer, 10 peaks, two different times. So, you know, when you guys come to acceptance that, okay, this isn't the time, we're not going to be able to make it happen. You go home, you sleep on it for a night or two, and then you start to get that little itch or that little voice in the back of your head. And how does that conversation go at you guys' house to decide, yeah, we're going to go out and try it again. Yeah, yeah. So, um, after the first attempt, you know, that we stopped for basically a medical issue, a breathing issue. And so, you know, that was like, oh man, you know, I think we got to give it another try because, you know, I think you're, I think you're capable of more than, than what actually happened out there. And, you know, you know, yeah, you know, it's like, uh, I don't know, I think like when you wake up the next day and the sun comes out and you feel all fresh and new and uh, all the craziness that happened over the attempt, you know, was lost and gone and you feel a, a new hope. And um, so I think we both came to a conclusion pretty quick to, to have attempt number two. Um, and then it was really different between two and three. There were times between two and three where each of us individually uh, were in the no category, no more attempts. And then mm -hmm. each of us individually were in the yes category, more attempts. And um, it was really, it was tricky, you know, because uh, it's a big thing to go back out and, and try for again. And my biggest thing always to John was like, I will support you in whatever you decide. And I will certainly support you if you go out again. But like, just to like really be clear inside his head is this what he really wanted to do for him only because you just can't even go out and give it an attempt if you don't have that fire inside you um and so we kind of went back and forth a bunch of times between two and three and for me like i was in the camp at one point i'm saying no we're not going for three and like it just kept coming up for me that I believe it's possible for John. Like, I really believe it's possible for John. And it felt wrong not to give it another try. Mm. So are you, are, you, are you probing John? Are you prompting John and saying, maybe you should go out and give it another try? Or, or how does yeah. that work? In him? Yeah, there was a time when he was, he, was, he was a no. And I said, mm -hmm. I just want you to, so I'm not trying, I don't want to talk you into this at all, but here are some things I want you to think about that, you know, I think that you can do this. And I was like, I talked about earlier when he stopped on halfway up Princeton on number two, that it was just this confluence of three things that came together that like we can address. He can recon that route at night, which we'd never thought of, which is so stupid, but he reconned the route at night and we can plan that you are sleeping at avalanche, no matter what you're getting sleep at avalanche. And we can eliminate some of these variables that, kind of came together to make it impossible to move forward in, in number two. And so, you know, I was just saying, I really think that you're capable of more than you've done. And I think you're capable of finishing it. And um, I, I just want you to consider that is kind of how the conversation went. Got it. Got it. So, yeah, I'm just trying to decide if you're more of an instigator or a supporter. I mean, <laughs> I guess supporter is the word, but, like, I'm, I'm just picturing you almost instigating John. Like, come on, man, you got to go and do it again. 
She's an instigator. Oh boy. She's definitely. <laughs> no doubt. Oh, I love it. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. So John, 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 when I saw you after attempt number two, you'd made it ten peaks and you'd fallen, you know, a little bit short of the goal. You said to me that the questions you had 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 been answered, and yeah. you know, I could tell that like the tone of your voice and the way you kind of looked at the ground when you said that, like, you know, it made me like have my own questions. Like, ah, I wonder if he's going to regret this like a few days down the road or what answers did you find after this last successful attempt? And what yeah. did you learn about yourself? First off, I hated doing that, Adam, coming and knocking on your window and, oh. you know, in the middle of the night after you'd driven up from, from Boulder uh, and, you know, Branch had come up from in the Denver area as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It, it's just I've been there. I've been there. Yeah. So I know exactly what you're talking about. I, you know, I, I've been there in, in other races when you just like you have to like confront your friends, face them and like let them down, you know, and it yeah. sucks. It, it's there's no no other way to put it. It just sucks. And I've been there, dude. So I totally understand it. Yeah, it goes both ways. I don't want to let, you know, you down. It's, you know, the logistics-wise, you know, put, you can put that aside. You've driven off from Boulder, man. That's in the middle of the night. Uh, and also, you know, you, you my friends, uh, you know, definitely, Jennifer, uh, I have a drive to make you proud. You know, like, it, it is very rewarding for me to have people that I respect to make them proud of what I've done. And that, you know, that does mean a lot to me. You need to be self-driven to do these things. But that's also another thing that does uh, come into play for me. But to your, to your question about the questions, you know, at that point, that attempt number two, I was still very focused, even though I may not have said it all the time and maybe was conscious of it. But when push came to shove during these events, during these attempts, rather, uh, I was focused on getting, getting 60 or under. And, and then that was my second attempt and looking at my splits, knowing what my times were mostly like after Harvard, uh, it was pretty unlikely that 60 was in, in my realm of possibility, you know, Mm -hmm. maybe a few hours more. Uh, so, you know, on a perfect day, maybe I could do this thing and, you know, somewhere between, you know, somewhere in the mid sixties, but after that second attempt, uh, it really did hit home. The numbers didn't lie. Uh, Ken ran the numbers for me. Uh, and uh, 60 wasn't, wasn't happening for me. So sure. on this attempt, it was a different mindset I had. Uh, I still had, you know, the mindset of doing the best I could. But really, like Jen said, doing, doing it under 60 and finishing the line sometimes could be competing interests. Uh, competing priorities. And in this case, my third attempt, my priority clearly was I'm going to finish this line no matter what. And uh, <laughs> the priorities of getting it in 60 or under in terms of sleep um, and doing whatever else I had to do uh, and maybe taking a little extra time here and there um, was the priority. And I think that made a big difference. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, yeah, man. I mean, so when you when you called uh, Julian Smith and myself and you were talking about this third attempt, 
I got fired up. I was like, oh, it's not like the flame hasn't died in John's head. <laughs> Still thinking about it. Like it may not even happen this year, but you know, maybe it'll happen next year. And I got fired up about it and I was pretty pumped and I was glad that, you know, your spirits weren't crushed over a couple of, of attempts that didn't go your way. And then um, when you kind of mentioned under the radar, kind of down low, all right, we're going to do it again. And here's the day. And I think I even texted it to Jen. I said, I have a really, really, really good feeling about this because I, I knew what this meant to you. And I knew the both of you spending all this time and energy and going out and doing an, a third attempt after 10 peaks on the first two attempts. Like I just, I don't know. I had a hundred percent. I mean, I always knew you could do it, but for some reason I just had a hundred percent faith that you, you would crawl into the finish on this one if you had to. So your confidence in me helped a lot too. I remember when I told you I was going out to recon Princeton at night and you were just like, F yeah, <laughs> that fired me up. Absolutely. I, said, I know what that means. So. Yes, yes, exactly. I was like, all right, the flame hasn't died. Like there's still a little fire in them. So dude, I was, I was pumped, man. I mean, what you did over this summer is just super inspirational to, you know, to me and to others. And it just shows how important this thing was to you to just get this thing checked off the list. I mean, yeah, man. Three attempts is huge. I mean, it's just, it, it's mind blowing, man. It's just so big, Adam. It's so big, you know, yeah. and I try and explain to people who've never really been out there. And I know you guys have too, like you try and explain to, you know, the average person out there, what Nolan's 14 is. And you tell them it's 14 peaks that are 14,000 feet high. It's a hundred miles. And you know, people think that they can wrap their head around it, but there's really no way to wrap your head around it until you've gone out there and done seven or eight of these peaks. And then you yeah. start to realize, oh my God, this is like just the biggest thing ever. Yeah. Yeah. The, the numbers don't tell the story for Nolan's. It's, it's just, it, it, do, it tells it, it does tell a pretty good story, but it doesn't tell the entire story of just how rugged it is. Um, yeah. Yeah. So going back to my previous question, I don't know if you fully answered it. I mean, what did you learn about yourself on this uh, last third attempt? Do you feel like a different person now that you finally completed it? Or does it feel like an arbitrary goal that you just, you finally, finally did it? Huh. My, my answer might be disappointing. I mean, it, it is, I mean, the reality is it is somewhat of an arbitrary goal. Uh, yeah. And, you know, setting you know, setting forth on, on doing this thing. Now I, I couldn't have known what the journey was going to be like or what would come out of it in terms of learning about myself. Um, so everybody says, Oh, they learned, learned stuff about themselves. Well, what have you learned? That's what you're asking me. Uh, so yeah, like I said, I, I've learned I'm a bit more cautious than, uh, than I thought I was. And mm -hmm in achieving big goals quickly anyway, uh, it's probably a bit of a, of a detriment. Uh, so I'm not going to, guy that's going to just race up a mountain, uh, that I haven't been up before, uh, mm -hmm. and, and not know about it. Um, I, I think my ability to persevere through really hard stuff, uh, hit, 
hit home for me. One of the things I did during this, I was during this I've never done before is I was taking, I was shooting videos of myself, either talking uh, and just kind of sharing my thoughts as I went along. Um, uh, or shooting of the, the kind of the footing, just so I could share it with Jen, you know, like this is some of these areas I've talked to you about and this is what the footing's like. Uh, awesome. And also just kind of ca capturing my thoughts. Mm -hmm. You know, what was I trying to prove on this thing? Was I, what was I trying to prove either to someone, someone else or to myself? I think something that I was trying to prove to myself through this and other hard things is that I have the fortitude that, you know, like some of my relatives had in the past. I, I always look back to uh, my, my, you know, my Italian grandparents who came over in like 1919 or 1920 with nothing. And they were about 19 or 20 years old. Uh, and I've never been challenged like that. They were peasants. Mm -hmm. um, and so am, am I a tough enough person to carry the, you know, the family, uh, that family toughness forward? Because um, I've, I've had a really good life. I've had a cushy life, Adam. Uh, things, sure. things go well for me. Uh, so I, I guess there is some level of desire in me to prove to myself that, uh, that I have that level of, of toughness if I want to pull it out. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. You do, man. And, uh, you know, you shared with me in our previous podcast, I think it was podcast number 20. And, uh, you know, at one time you were a little bit overweight and you weren't exercising all the time. So, you know, this is, um, you know, not something you've been planning on for years and years. Um, you know, you guys hiked the Fourteeners together and I'm sure at the time that was huge. And, and maybe you thought that was the biggest thing you'd ever do. And then you heard of this little Nolan's thing. And then, you know, that was the bug in your ear for, for about five years. So hell yeah, you're strong enough. Hell yeah. You're tough enough. I mean, you did it, dude. And not only did you do it, you pretty much did it three times, which is even more impressive. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> if you could go back to the, the second attempt this summer, what would you have done differently, if anything? Oh, sleep at Avalanche, period. <laughs> I should have really? forced him to sleep. I, I, so like how my mind works, like the day or two or the week after uh, we abort an attempt, is I, I, my mind's just working constantly to find the path that would have worked. What would have worked? What would have worked? What did we miss? And uh, on that one, he should have slept at Avalanche, no question. And it would have at least put him in a better mental mindset to handle the challenges ahead. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Because he was yeah, pretty definitely. negative at that point, you said, right? So it was so interesting, Adam. I, and I talked to you about it when uh, we were texting and calling each other when I was at Avalanche that, he, and this is where I made the mistake I talked about earlier. When he left Cottonwood, I gave him the times to summit Yale and the times to arrive to Avalanche. And then that really started messing with his head and he, he wasn't hitting them and it was putting him in a, he wasn't missing them by a lot, but it was putting him in a downward spiral. And he, he was really getting frustrated and worked up around that. And that's just spending energy on something that doesn't even matter. And so um, he was yeah, very negative, uh, from the top of Yale and then even coming off Yale down into Avalanche, he was still very negative about um, 
being able to do it and move forward. And like, that's just not characteristic of John. Like he <laughs> may get frustrated and vent some and then it passes and he kind of goes back to a set point. But this was a really extended period of kind of spiral, spiraling downward. And uh, um, that I think is, is really hard to get out of. He's out there solo. So that even makes it more challenging to kind of knock yourself out of that and bounce back. And, you know, he was just completely exhausted at that point as well. So it kind of all um, adds in on top of itself. But so, yeah, I learned that sleep at avalanche was needed and it should have been done on attempt number two. It would have changed things on attempt number two, but in the same way too, you know, when I gave him those set times for summiting Yale and getting to avalanche, uh, I realized that like that isn't what he needed at that time. And um, just because like I said, like hit these numbers didn't make it happen. And it wasn't like the strategy that worked best for him at that point. Sure. So, I mean, Jen, it sounds like you're taking the responsibility for him not, not finishing on attempt number two. And I know that you take this seriously and when you are in as crewing for John, you're all in 110% in, but I'm guessing John doesn't see it that way. I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I, and I, you know, so then I like my mind works in the ways that it likes to go through the list of what ifs and mm -hmm. what could I have done differently and what would that have resulted in and so on and so forth. And so we talked about that quite a bit, especially after two and, uh, and, just like you just said, Adam, John was very much like, this was my thing. And, you know, you couldn't make me uh, stop and you couldn't make me continue. Those are my decisions. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I am aware that I influenced the process and I, and I recognize the places where uh, some of the things that I did just didn't work or they weren't the right decision for that point in time. Sure. Sure. John, do you remember that point? Um, going over Yale and, and through Avalanche on attempt number two, do you feel like you were in a really negative low spot? Oh, I definitely, yeah, I, I was. And <clears throat> um, it was, yeah, and, and I know Jen vo voiced that to me at Avalanche, you know, that, hey, you're doing okay. And she just kept giving me positive energy. And I was just, you know, I was in a problem I didn't, I, I couldn't find, figure out a solution for, for a long time, which was mm -hmm. my energy was low. I knew I was slowing down dramatically. It probably started in the traverse between Harvard and Columbia. It was hot and, uh, you know, I was starting to feel crappy. I knew my times were starting to slip and I couldn't figure out a solution to that problem. And I was just struggling and struggling with it. And in the midst of that, I had to go climb Yale, which is just, you know, my, what's the word? But hold on. I'll just interject for a minute. The funny thing in this is that John forgets that he's not the numbers guy, so he shouldn't be uh, using numbers. So he actually, on attempt number two, Adam, he rolled into Avalanche uh, 16 minutes quicker, faster than he did on attempt number one. So he's going over all these mountains thinking that he's flipping and losing time. And I keep telling him, you're not. And like, I'm not BSing you. Like, I'm telling you the truth here. I get the numbers. I'll take care of the numbers. You're doing good. Like, just keep doing what you're doing. It's really good. But he starts spiraling, thinking he's not. But actually, he's doing really I, good. I know. And then I got, I got lost coming off Hughes Ridge. And, not on two. Oh, that was, that was the first one. Yeah. Never scratch that. <laughs> but they yeah. all just blend together after a while. Yeah. And, you know, probably, like we're talking about, 
I probably could have used some darn sleep at that point, yeah. and that probably would have snapped me out of it. And I didn't learn that until my third attempt. And, you know, Jen and Branch helped me with that. I mean, we were commit Jennifer, Jennifer and I were committed for me to take a, a nap at least 30 minutes at Avalanche, and that would have been the first time I slept. But then, you know, at that point, from that point forward, I was with Brant, uh, and Brant learned his lessons back in 2016 about napping, uh, about, you know, taking naps here and there, because, um, you know, he was trying to stay up with Julian, and as you all know, Julian never stops. Uh, so, you know, Brant can take, like, 10 minutes, 10-minute naps, 15-minute naps in the middle of the woods or on summits, and we did that from that point on, so... Uh, you know, we take 10 minutes, 15 minutes. We slept on the summit of Princeton. We slept uh, at the at the base of the East Ridge of Princeton in the middle of the night um, for 10, 15 minutes. And I tell you, it works. It helps. I was always nervous about taking naps because I figured I'm a little lazy too. And once I like started sleeping, I wouldn't want to stop sleeping. But we got right. up and there is a, a refreshment element. I think it's especially when you're that exhausted that, you know, that's that any little bit helps and um just taking those cat naps helped a lot yeah and, and I, I think it helped in my attitude also being with mm. brant helped with my attitude but um yeah. yeah the negativity on yale was tough yell was yell and is, is a tough mountain for me especially yeah. go, you know going up that avalanche gully and then you get to the top you have the the, the cirque you're going around it takes takes a long time and then to top it all off just finding the summit on Yale is not easy. It's, it's, it's very frustrating. <laughs> right. right. I know. Yeah, I feel like Yale is your biggest nemesis. I mean, most people complain about Princeton. Princeton's the one that I'm always dreading. But I feel like Yale is, is the big one for you that you really are uh, up against. No, no doubt. However, there is a mountain that actually has it out for me. Yale, I struggle with. That's my problem. But... Yeah. uh Antero has just just uh, given me it, it's evil. It, yeah. It's evil. Well, <laughs> I mean, you're a north to south guy too. That's another thing I admire about you is you know you started scouting with us north to south, and I don't think that you ever really scouted with us south to north. So you just stuck with that, and now I think that you're the only finisher north to south this year. Isn't that right? I believe I'm the only one that's completed the line north to south this year. <laughs> yeah. yeah. South to north is getting more and more popular, and you just decided to stick with north to south. This is going to be my route. I'm going to nail this. I don't know when, but this is what's going to happen. And uh, I dig that, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> it's nice and quiet, Adam. It doesn't get too busy on that going that way. No, not anymore. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So how big of a role did uh, having Brant Ketterer with you uh, play into you getting this thing done this time? I know that traditionally in 100-mile races, you're not a guy that generally uses pacers. So how did it work out for you? Yeah, I, I, I never had a pacer in anything before this season. And uh, this season I had experience with uh, Sharpie out there, mm -hmm. uh, and that was great. And I was hesitant because I, I – like. I can do this by myself. I like to listen to my music. I can be by myself. Uh, and I just didn't know how, you know, a pacer w would go. Uh, so Sharpie was great. We, he, I was with him for sections on the first two attempts. And uh, Brant, I, I don't know that I could have completed it on the third attempt uh, if I hadn't met up with Brant. I mean, if Brant hadn't uh, 
you know, pace me from Yale on. Um, he is just steady. Um, I get along with him. He, I can joke with him. I can, uh, you know, bust his chops and vice versa. Uh, that's very important for me. Um, yeah. be able to joke around, uh, and, you know, say inappropriate things. Uh, and he, <laughs> and I, and I trust him, you know, implicitly, uh, in the mountains. He's, he is thoughtful. Uh, he's composed and, you know, we made a lot of joint decisions. Um, and it, you know, he was a outstanding partner for me and, uh, you know, I give him a huge amount of credit for, for getting me through to the end, uh, and just being there with me and, uh, us, you know, getting through it together. I also have to give him a ton of credit. Jennifer and I are changing the uh, name of the Avalanche Trailhead to uh, the Brant Ketterer uh, Trailhead. This guy, three, three, on three attempts, he's come up from Denver. Well, the first time was <laughs> a few, in 2018, he lived in Leadville. Uh, but he's come up and meet me in the middle of the night at Avalanche, talk to me, uh, talk me through stuff, uh, wow. and uh, was willing to go on with me. So, you know, he's just invested a lot in it as well. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. And we talked a little bit about this out there. Like, It's impressive that Brant really even wants to have anything to do with this because he's completed the line in under 60 hours. I mean, I <laughs> I'm surprised he doesn't just kind of, uh, I'm done with it, guys. Uh, no more. Like, I'll give you advice if you want it, but I'm not going to come out there and help you. But he is very selfless individual. And, uh, indeed, you know, He's that's pretty impressive too. Just the level of commitment that he's had to come out and uh, you know help his friends get to the the finish line. It's it, it's pretty awesome. Absolutely, it really is. It's so so much, so much uh, gratitude for what he did. And I told him at least once uh, after Princeton because I, I really needed him 100 percent at least in my mind just to get me over Princeton, get me to Alpine, uh, and then I could you know if he had to go back or we had other commitments. Uh, or just didn't want to go on, which was totally understandable. Uh, that's fine. But he took me all the way to the end. And several times when we were going through weather on Intero and these ridiculous storms are coming through and delaying us and we're stuck in, you know, electrical storms. Uh, and that's why Intero is evil. Um, I said, you have no business being here anymore, Brand. <laughs> you know, what are you, what are you still doing here with me? And he just didn't even, he didn't even answer me. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think I think that like part of it too is that John's always felt uh, a little shy or funny about you know uh, asking people to come along and pace and wondering how he might feel about it and that sort of thing. Like in his races, he's not had pacers, but you know I think on the Nolan's line, it's uh it's so hugely beneficial. If if nothing else, yeah. just to kind of change the tone of things to to have yeah. you know, John, John listens to his music and his podcast and all that sort of thing, but you can get really lost in your own head and it's just a, a switch up of the energy and that sort of thing. I think it's really invaluable and something that goes on for that long. And, you know, it's awesome having super friends like you, Adam and Brant and Sharpie who are willing to come out and do that. You still feel a little funny. Like, I don't want to put people out. Uh, but, you know, I tried to always remind him too to like flip the situation. And if you had the opportunity, you know, you'd be more than happy to go out and help somebody. So sometimes you have to be willing to accept that too. Of course. Yeah. A hundred percent. And John, you said that um, you were able to put your trust in Brant. Like what exactly does that mean? Like when you guys are out there in the dark, is Brant 
helping you with uh, navigation and, and route finding, or what does that trust look like? <coughs> Excuse me, still coughing. Um, you know, it, yeah, good question. It, it's sometimes it's just well, put it this way. I was talking about the napping, right? Uh, you know, he's like. Yeah, maybe we should, uh, you know, lay down for 10 minutes here. I know I could use it. You know, you probably could too. I'm like, hmm, I wouldn't have done that on my own, but yeah, good idea. Let's do it. And I just trust him. Uh, he checked in on me. I mean, just a perfect pacer. I can't tell you how many times he checked in on me like, dude, you, when was the last time you ate something? Uh, are you drinking your tailwind? Uh, you know, just constantly. He, when I mentioned that I was getting some tendonitis in my right ankle that was flaring up before we had to do the nighttime climb up Tabawash, he just kept checking in on me. Like, how's that going, man? You want to take a little rest and you want to take How's that? How's that ankle feeling? Uh, mm -hmm. Just things like that where he, I know that he knows what's important in terms of um, being safe in the mountains and making smart decisions in the mountains. I trust his experience. I trust his head. Um, yeah, going up Tab at night. Yeah, going up Tabawash at night. He didn't know the route at all, so he had, he had never done it that way, right? He was he was a he did his finish going northbound, uh, yep. and you know he wasn't too familiar with that route even going northbound. Uh, so it wasn't even like both of us knew that. I 100% was in charge of of that uh, section of the the route, and. When we're on the side of that mountain in the middle of the night, super steep, rocky, pretty precarious, there's a trust in just being able to kind of keep it light uh, in our conversation between each other. And, you know, there were sex areas where I'm like, hey, man, how's the footing over where you are? And, you know, he was on some rocks that weren't moving and my, I just kept sliding down. Uh, mm. So he knew exactly what to tell me to describe what he was experiencing, whatever, 10, 15 feet to my left and maybe 20 feet above me. So those types of discussions, we didn't have to talk a lot, uh, but we were able to connect pretty well. And, um, uh, you know, like I said, I just trust his decision-making in the mountain. He's just got tremendous experience. Yeah, for sure. Did you ever, um, worry that, uh, you know, you're going so slow at that point, you know, you're 12 peaks in, and, and Brant, did you feel like you were slowing him down? I mean, obviously, he's there to pace you. Do you feel bad because he has to go extra slow because he's going your pace? Or what was that like in your head? Yeah, at times it, it, it was like that. And, I, you know, I would tell myself he's here to pace me. But I was like, man, this must be just boring for you because you're waiting for me <laughs> here and there and uh, just right. going so slow at times. And he's just he's also exceptionally uh, strong and just glides over complex talus fields uh, and terrain really well. Uh, and he was, you know, obviously even fresher than I was. Uh, and uh, you know, he's a young kid too. So I got, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I got a few years on him, <laughs> but that did cross my mind. I'm glad you asked. I mean, I hate to say it, but yeah, I, I did worry that I was just, so incredibly boring uh going at that slum for him <laughs> i mean he was out there two nights as well you know right you were out there three nights he was out there two nights and you know when i came up on the very last peak to meet you guys you were obviously my biggest concern because you'd gone the furthest but then i take a look at brant and he's like yeah i've been out here two nights too if you have any caffeine that'd be great <laughs> 
he, yeah, he was pretty, he was pretty played at the end there mentally. I was, I was okay mentally at the end there. I was, I was doing all right. Uh, well, yeah, you were, you were yeah, doing remarkably. No, you were doing remarkably well at the end. Uh, you were, you were with it. You were together. You know, you can tell that your mind wasn't all over the place. Like I feel like mine would have been on night number three, you know, no hallucinations, no getting sick. You were still moving well. I mean, it was pretty impressive. He does pretty good with sleep deprivation. Yeah. Yeah, overall, he does pretty good. I mean, Uh, is that something you train for, or is that something you just happen to be good at that, or what's the secret there? I think it's luck of the draw. I think it's luck of the draw. So, yeah, so I was out for 72 hours, and the best I can tell, I think we got, I got about 50 minutes 50 minutes of sleep altogether. So, I don't know, round it up, call it an hour. No hallucination. Yeah, I don't hallucinate. Uh, I don't know why, I guess. Yeah. You know, some people do and some people don't. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I, mentally I was doing pretty well at the end. I really wanted to get to that last peak. Uh, yeah, probably throughout the whole thing, I was probably doing better than Brant between Tabawash and, uh, and, and, and the finish. Uh, <laughs> and, Adam, I got to tell you, man, I cannot express in words how great it was that you were up there with uh, with Honey Girl, uh, you know your pup. Just good energy. At the end, man, I just that change of energy. Seeing you, I was so psyched to see you. Uh, and you had those three cans of Coca Cola, and man, yeah. they hit the spot. Oh my God, what a <laughs> brilliant idea to bring those up. And, uh, you know, it really hit home for me how much it means to be walked down from that last summit because out of all that stuff we went through, I was dreading that walk out because I knew it was long and, you know, it was just kind of going to be a trudge. And having you to talk to after those cokes and Honey Girl running around and just being joyous, uh, really, it did so much for me. <laughs> it really did. Yeah. Help yeah. me out so much. No, I was so glad to be a part of it, man. I mean... Like I've said a million times, I know what you went through all summer just trying to get this thing done. And I knew that this was going to be the time when, when you mentioned that, all right, we're going to try it again. Like I, I knew you were going to get it done. And, uh, you know, I had work to contend with. And as soon as work was done, I was like, all right, we're, we're going out there. And I was watching your tracker. And I'm like, yeah, he's definitely slowing down. But I think even with this traffic, I'm going to have time to hike up there and, and pretty much get him down to the finish. So, dude, I was so pumped just to be a part of it. <laughs> that was awesome. That was you, yeah, and then to seeing her and Jen as we came into the finish. That was just, oh man, yeah, yeah. perfect. That was one of the, some of the best few minutes of best few minutes of my life. I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, hundred percent. I believe it. That's going to be a moment you're going to carry with you forever. It's it's a moment you're never going to forget. You know, luckily we have it on video, so you can go back and and see how it really was instead of just how it was in your head. But yeah. uh, dude, yeah, no, it was fantastic. So cool, Jen. Um, I'm curious, like when John gets in these really low points, like he was on attempt number two, uh, coming into Avalanche. Do you have any secret things that you say to him to try and pick him back up? So um, on that, when he rolled into Avalanche on two, uh, I was trying to reassure him a lot about the numbers. He was very uh, distraught about the times and um he was very off base 
So I was trying to tell him, like, I'm not just trying to make you feel better here. Like, the numbers are good. You're doing really well. And you just need to keep doing what you're doing. So I, I really wanted him to get off of that uh, thing of being so bummed out about the times. Because it wasn't true. He was doing very good. Like I said, he came in on attempt number two into Avalanche, like, 16 minutes faster than he did on attempt number one. So he was doing really well. And I didn't want him wasting energy on that. Um, and I just uh try to um tell him that i believe in him that i believe that he's going to complete this and and also like not to look at it so much like as getting to the finish line as trying to set a small goal you know of let's walk down the colorado trail or you know let's get to the top of princeton or let's just set like a next little step of what we're going to do um and that I, when he's doubting himself that like, I believe that you're going to get this thing done. I believe that you're capable of this. Um, but beyond that, I don't really have any like super secret tricks or anything like that. Sure. Yeah. I mean, just from what I've seen, you are just an exemplary crew chief and, and just the way that you handle your business out there is just, uh, you know, head and shoulders above what I've seen anyone else do. I mean, I've had some, so I feel like some of the best crew in the world. I feel like, you know, just my friends coming out, sleeping on floors, helping me to get the finish lines of these stupid hundred mile races. And just what I've seen you, you do is just, it just blows me away. And I understand part of that is because John's your husband. Um, do you think that that's the sole reason that you're so into this? Or if you were to crew somebody else, would you be the same way? I have, yeah. We actually crewed. We crewed a friend. Uh, I crewed a friend a couple of years ago, and I was, I was into it just as much. Uh, right. And so I think a lot of that is like, uh, uh, liking, like I enjoy figuring things out. So like when John started doing ultra races, you know, I, I'd be at the crew, the crew places, and watching what everybody else is doing, and like picking up tip, tips and tricks. I'm like, oh, I think I want to try that, or oh, that's a good mm-hmm. idea. And uh, mm-hmm. and then also I'm just super detail oriented, and. Uh, so that kind of helps in having a sense of um, what what needs to happen. And like I've really learned over time as well. I used to give John a lot more choice at crew spots and say like, hey, do you want to eat this or do you want to eat this? Do you want to drink this or do you want to drink this? But I really like stopped doing that altogether. And I say, here's what you're eating and here's what you're drinking because it's, it's overwhelming. It's like too much choice and too much decision and too much brain power to have to think about those things at that point. And uh so that's one thing that I've kind of learned uh, to do. And I just try to anticipate, you know, what sort of things he needs and what sort of things are comforts that he can get at, crew, at, at a crew spot. Yeah. So when he comes into an aid station, do you have, um, uh, you know, positive things? to like, like if he comes in in a positive mood, do you have certain things you'll say? And are you prepared? if he comes in in a negative mood as well to have other things to say, are you prepared like for all situations when he's coming into an aid station? Yeah, I don't really like, I don't really like pre-plan it like that, but I will say on this attempt, it's on attempt three, he came into Cottonwood um, once again, talking about uh, how poorly he was doing. And, and, and I, I told him very strongly, I am not going down this rabbit hole with you. You're doing well and you're going to finish this thing. And I will not go down this rabbit hole of getting stressed out at Cottonwood. It's not going to happen. So you're going to eat this and you're going to drink and then you're going to put your pack back on and you're going to go up the hill and you're going to get Yale. I laid down dirt first. 
He, yeah. he laid down in dirt for five minutes. <laughs> what was it like? <laughs> What was it like getting that sort of uh, firm advice like that? Like, we're not going to go down this rabbit hole. It's not going to happen. Here's what you're going to do. Go. That was that was very – that's the extent of the firm advice I got that time. And I've told her many times, a lot of the other tone that she gave me there was just kind of more tender uh, and, you know, soft. And I've told her yeah. many times, that's exactly what I, I needed there. So I, I just – you know, mm. I was in some problems I wasn't going to solve. I mean, I had my energy was down. I was struggling, but that's just what it is. And uh, I just needed, I also kind of just needed my girlfriend there. Uh, yeah. And that was great. And, you know, when I went a little bit overboard about getting negative, she just was like, we're not going to do that. Uh, and I knew, especially at that third time, uh, that she was 100% right. And I'm like, I just needed to snap out of it previous attempts, I was just too deep in it. And uh, I wasn't as mindful of the challenge that was ahead with that I was going to have on Yale. So this time, at least coming in, I was mindful that I got Yale coming up, I have to keep a positive outlook. Uh, and I did waver from that a little bit, but I just wasn't in that deep, dark hole that uh, is even harder to dig out of. I didn't allow myself to get that deep into it this time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she knows when to push you and when to pull back a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think we've learned that. Yeah. yeah. And I'm always, I mean, and when I see him, I'm, I'm always telling him, you know, you're doing so amazing out there. Like this thing is so giant. Like it's just incredible that you're out there, you know, and, mm-hmm. and reinforcing to him that like you are super strong, like don't let that get lost. Cause you know how it is, Adam, when you're in the middle of one of these things and you just start to feel like you're flailing around, you know, you almost become like, like he was saying on his numbers, his times on attempt number two, like he was way off. He was doing really great on his numbers, but he started getting into this feeling of feeling like he's flailing and, and uh, it's all going to slip away. Yeah. It's all going to slip away. And so, you know, I just remind him like you are really strong and you're doing an awesome job out there and don't like get overridden into believing that you're not strong because you are. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. John, did you have any, um, I mean, we're sitting here talking about how hard this thing is, and it obviously is. It's so big. It's so hard to get this thing done. It it took you three times this summer. It's like the hardest thing ever. But did you ever have any really high moments out there? Like I find when I run 100 milers, you know, I have really low points, but my high points are really high. Did you have any moments of elation or any moments where you got emotional or any moments where you're on top of a mountain just screaming like, yes, I'm doing this thing. <laughs> Wasn't like that at all. Yeah, I, I think every time I went up massive in Elbert, I felt pretty darn good. Now, that's probably because they're at the beginning. But there's that's also the first like two peaks. Elbert. Was it? Uh, no, I just said that's the first two peaks. Of course you're feeling good. I know. <laughs> but, you know, Elbert's cool because it is a, it's just the numbers of it. It's an impressive climb. And you know, I like to climb or I'm generally, that's a strength of mine. So, you know, I generally like, Oh, I, I did good on Elbert again. That's pretty cool. Um, last, my last attempt, uh, coming down the road run from, uh, you know, on route 82 there, uh, mm-hmm. I, I felt that I crushed that. I ran the whole way strong and, I uh, was feeling, I was feeling sexy out there, you know, on, on the roads feeling yeah. good. Um, Oh, a lot of fun 
was going up, uh, we're still at the beginning, was going up uh, La Plata. I came in right from the road run, saw Jen, I was feeling good. And Jen's like, I got a surprise for you. Uh, I'm like, wow, what could, what could this possibly be? She said, uh, Courtney, Courtney DeWalter uh, is going to meet you up on La Plata. I'm like, you're kidding me. Because uh, Jen <laughs> ran into her in the parking lot. She was hiking. She was going up uh, La Plata with her husband and another uh, partner. And uh, I saw them on the way down. That was a great lift. That was a lot of fun. She's a fun person. I like her energy. And she's just cool. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so that was definitely a high point. Um, you know, yeah, I'm thinking back to past stuff. I'm not going to pull pull uh, moments up off. Well, you felt good going from Missouri. You get a, a long ways through the night at that point. Yeah, get going, going, uh, cr- doing that Missouri traverse. Um, it was fun when I, you know, I did it with Sharpie. Uh, have a little partner with that in the middle of the night. Um, mm. Felt like I, I did it pretty well a couple times because that was always a, a nerve wracking section for me where I, like things could go horribly wrong or maybe I could nail it. Oh, yeah. um, so that was good and you know i just can't beat can't beat the finish that's just an unbelievable unbelievable feeling and i'll tell you yeah a little yeah. <laughs> i should have been screaming i i've never really been a, a yeller in the mountains but uh except that one time you we were walking down right and we're walking right past the campsite right before the finish and i was yelling <laughs> and you said there's camp right there <laughs> <laughs> oh no man wake them up and let them know what you did right. they're about to go they're gonna wake up early and go hike one peak you just did 14 <laughs> like uh it was funny when we when we were coming down chavano and uh we saw the first hikers of the day going up at you know must have been three in the morning and we're like oh did you get an early start and they're like yeah what time did you guys start <laughs> like don't even ask this guy's been out here for days he's <laughs> 14 peaks. Yeah. Or yeah, two days ago. Come on, 14 peaks. <laughs> oh, so cool, man. I mean, th- this is a question for both of you guys. How important is it to finish under 60 hours? Or is that just a completely arbitrary number? Or how do you guys think of that? That's a tough one, Adam. Uh, so as I understand it, uh, the 60 hours is part of the original parameters set out by the founders. But mm-hmm. I also understand that there's other parameters around pacers and um, uh, navigation and uh, supplies and carrying supplies and that sort of stuff. So um, it seems, you know, that the, the 60 hours parameter has stuck where some of the other ones haven't. Um, so uh, in my mind, I think to be an official Nolan's finisher, it seems like kind of the current trend is that you have to be sub 60 hours to be an official Nolan's finisher, but you can have finished the line in, in greater than that time. Um, Mm -hmm. But it does seem like the general consensus right now is that everyone's, you know, looking to hit sub 60 to be an official finisher. Um, So, you know, I I look at it like John finished the entire line in one push, Um, but it's, it's kind of a little bit of a fluid thing since there's doesn't seem to be a real uh, strict rule book. The whole, the whole thing, yeah. I mean, the, the whole thing in and of itself is an unofficial thing anyway. It's a challenge, right? And I, I struggle with explaining this to my friends back east and family. Like, is this a race or what is this? I'm like, oh, you can go out and do it anytime you want. It's a challenge, you know, to first off, try to do, do these 14 peaks from trailhead to trailhead in a single push. To me, to me, and this is just personally, that's the challenge is where it's, that's the baseline challenge, put it that way. 
right? Can you can you do for can you do that route uh, in a single push? Now, in what I did in 72 hours, you compare that to someone who's like what Sarah Hansel and what Joey uh, Camps did this year, and everybody else who's done it, you know, sub 60, unsupported. It's like a different right. event. It's a entirely different event. I mean, what I did, it's in, as hard as it is, to me, that is just a whole different level. So that's another <laughs> level of it, right? And then you got people yeah. with that want to approach it in, with various levels of support and do it under 60. So to me, there's kind of three main buckets, right? Totally unsupported under 60, uh, supported under 60, and just finished the darn line, you know, and that's, that's where I came in. Cause you know, I finally figured out, it took me a while of probing <laughs> to figure out that's yeah. what I'm capable of. Uh, and I know that that's darn hard and it's supremely fulfilling just for me to have done that. And I'll say, you know, at this age, I don't know if I could have done it under 60, you know, 10, 15 years ago either, but I, I know how hard it is just to do the line in a single push. Uh, so I just can't get, you know, there are different levels of, of difficulty, even in this. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's what you want to make of it. That's it. And I, I would say for us personally, like a goal was 60. That was on yeah. our radar and we were shooting for that. And, um, but once we knew that was not going to happen, it also, and like I grilled John about this because I wanted to really understand like his point of view on it. So I knew kind of how to manage it, but you know, does it hold value for you to finish the line in one push, even if it'll be greater than 60 hours? And he was very steadfast that it held a lot of value for him and that he wanted to run this line in one push. And so I think it's also just a very personal decision of what's valuable to you. I, want, I wanted to do the best I could. And when I realized that 60 wasn't possible for me, the best I could do was something above 60, but finishing the line in a single push. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So what advice would you give to people who are, you know, looking at Nolan's, they're thinking about doing it, you know, and, and they're maybe in the same boat that you are. Sure, they want to finish it in under 60. They don't know if it's possible. And, you know, maybe they make it to 10 or 12 peaks in 60 hours. I mean, would you encourage them to continue on or to come back next year and, and go for 60 again? It's, it, it's a very personal decision, but, you know, my advice would be if you've made it, if you've made a serious. If you're at 10 or 12, yeah, finish temp, the line, go finish if, the line. At that point, you can always come back and try for 60 next summer, even ex- if you finish the line. Exactly. Like, yeah, really. True. If you finish the line, you know, but in a time I'm, that you're not satisfied with. You can always come back. You can always come back. Yeah. As opposed to, you've already done 10 or 12 peaks. I mean, you don't finish it a lot. Yeah. Finish the darn thing and then figure out what's important to you, you know, and, and reevaluate. But uh, at least you have that in the bag. Yep. Yep. For sure. You know, of course, well, you did it, man. risking injury or something, you know, but of course. Right, right. Well, you did it, dude. I mean, I'm so proud of you. Um, you know, I've said it over and over again. You put so much into it, not only this summer, but years previous. And just watching the both of you guys work together as a team has, has been a privilege. And uh, I just, I love watching the way that you guys work. And, and Jen, I love watching how much you care for John out there. And, 
you know, you're watching storms coming in and, and sitting in the truck, biting your nails. And, you know, I, I know how much this stresses the both of you guys out. And, but, you know, you, you, you persevered, you came back time and time again, and it was a goal and, and you wouldn't stop until this thing was done. And it's, it's extremely admirable just, you know, watching from a distance. So it, it's just been an honor. Thanks, Adam. It was really, it was, it was the roller coaster ride. That's for sure. It's high highs and there's low lows, but I am glad we took the ride. It was such an adventure. Perfectly yeah, said. Yeah. Perfectly said. And Adam, That's I took so much away. I mean, thank, thank you for everything you did. I appreciate all. And just the, the friendships that have come out of this are just deeply meaningful to me. Um, and yeah. you know, it, it, it it's, it, it is a great adventure and, uh, it's just been sure. uh, quite a ride. I know. We talked about this briefly when we were out coming down uh, Chavano, um, you know, how none of us really would have met had it not been for Julian Smith and his project Treadstone and, and, you know, social media kind of brought us all together. So, you know, as much as, you know, I personally dog on social media, like I think the three of us do and a lot of people do, there's a lot of positives out there too. I mean, it brought us all together. Now we're, you know, we're all great friends. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, totally. How cool. Indeed. Who would have thunk, right? Exactly. So, so we've shared some amazing experiences. Yeah, for sure. Um, John, what are you doing to recover? Oh, what am I doing? Trying to try sleep. Some, what's that? You said you were pretty beat up now that you're uh, a couple days after the event and you know, last time I saw you, you had some cankles and, you know, you're a little bit swollen up and, you know, ankles were beat up and scratched up and bruised up. And yeah, all so, of like, yeah. done. Well, trying to sleep as much as possible. Trying to sleep as much as possible. I've been wearing compression uh, socks for below my knees. Uh, my feet are still look like cadavers. Get the legs uh, up. Went to my chiropractor today, Dr. John Graham in, uh, in, Fr- in, Fr- in Frisco. He always takes care of me. Uh, he's going to give me some acupuncture on Thursday. Hopefully that'll help me with, uh, with the inflammation, uh, eating, yeah. uh, Jen's always lots of good food. feeding me good foods. Um, mm. and, uh, um, just trying to, just trying to rest and yeah. take care of my throat too. Yeah. So that means you didn't eat the Burger King you were, you said you were craving when you were coming down yet. the last week? I haven't not gotten yet. the Burger King. <laughs> I see they have a, a two Whopper for $5 deal right now, which is very tempting. I don't know. We're going right down the hill. I haven't gone there yet. <laughs> I'm trying to talk a little more high quality foods, but we'll get one of those. Yeah. But I, I, I don't eat meat, so it's, these are the impossible Whoppers. That's the only reason I go to Burger King, so I got the impossible Whoppers. Oh, yeah, good. yeah. Okay. Nice. That's right. Uh, well, yeah, we ate breakfast the next morning after. I mean, I couldn't believe that you were awake after four hours of sleep and you were ripped, ready, ready to go for breakfast. Oh, on her, on her yeah, you're like, all right, we're getting ready for breakfast. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, we, we, we sat in the blank parking lot at the back of my camper. It was, that was so much fun, man. I love that. We were sitting around until like five o'clock in the morning uh, talking. Yes as quietly as we could and what what did we get up at 7 30 and started getting the breakfast uh, plan together <laughs> yeah yeah so cool man well i think that you said you got you and brant said that you guys saw like approximately like nine people out attempting the nolan's line yeah the same weekend you were out there and my prediction was i bet you maybe three of those people will finish and i think that's about right 
there was you and Megan Hicks, who's obviously a badass, and oh. she went out and set an FBT unsupported, which yeah. is just incredible. And I think there was one more gentleman that finished in under 60 yeah. hours. Uh, Does that sound yeah, right? Ma Marvin Sandoval, and Brant knew him from Leadville, uh, and he was telling oh. us that, you know, after we passed by Marvin, uh, and I was like, what's the deal with that guy? And he's like, oh, he's, he's a badass, man. He is a hardcore dude. And uh, uh, sure enough, he, he finished like 57 something. I loved what he said, though. He posted, he said, uh, uh, the route is crazy tough and very sketchy to say the least. Navigating the backcountry during the day is difficult, but at night is so much harder. There were many sections that only the few who have been out on the route would understand just how steep, gnarly, and hard this was. And this is a hardcore guy. Right? This guy, you know, is a major uh, endurance athlete. Uh, so I, it was great. He, he finished. I don't know if anybody else did other than Megan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like when uh, people like that are able to express how difficult this thing is in sort of a new way because I'm always looking for the the exact right way to explain how tough this thing is and, and what it really involves and I don't think that I've ever really you know come up with a perfect way to explain it and uh that may be as close as as I've heard so far that's that's pretty good yeah I like that yeah well, cool, guys. Thanks so much for chatting with me. I'm so proud of you, John. You finally did it. Um, are you going to go back next year and do it in under 60? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Next, I just got to recover a little bit. Hopefully the snow hey, – you know, Adam, I, may, I just may not be able to because of the weather, unfortunately, this year. So. <laughs> oh, I'm glad I, wink, wink. I'm glad I got a laugh out of you for that. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> Oh, done. Dude, I mean, 72 hours is way harder than doing under 60 hours. That's what I'm saying. I mean, saying, you got a whole right? other exactly. night to contend with. Yeah. I mean, I... there should be some award or something for that. <laughs> we're, we're ready to help you out next year, Adam. Anytime. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I know. I got this thing that's still hanging over my head, and I was waiting for, uh, you know, one of my friends to finally finish this thing to build up my confidence a little bit more. But there you go. now that I – not, yeah, I don't know that that helped. Watching John, I'm just like, ah, this thing really is just impossible, isn't it? <laughs> you got you got some you got several Treadstone alumni finishers who are are going to be happy to help come out and help you. Yes, it's going to happen at some point or another. Well, listen, thank you guys. I really appreciate it. And um, anything else you guys have to say about this, or anything else you want to interject? No, no. no. Yeah. Thanks a that lot. Adam. Thanks, Adam. Fun talking with you, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, yeah, like I said before, it's just an honor watching you guys work together and I love you guys and I'm so glad that I was able to be, you know, a small part of it or at least see the finish. And uh yeah, man. I, I can't wait to see what's in you guys' future. And uh yeah, man. It was a fun summer. Awesome. Fun summer. Thanks, Adam. <laughs> Thanks, Adam. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys get some rest, put your feet up, um, yeah. both of you. I, I, I know what it's like for, uh, you know, the crew too. So, yeah, both of you get some rest, eat some good food, and, and get that Burger King we're talking about. Nice. Right, right on. <laughs> All right, guys. Take care. Right. We'll talk soon. Bye. All right. There it is. That is a beautiful couple. If you want to hear more of John's backstory, uh, scroll back to my episode number 20, 
We go deep into his personal background and how he got into ultra marathons and eventually found Nolan's 14. If you guys enjoy this podcast, consider supporting us by making a donation. You can click support this podcast and choose an amount. If you like it, a couple bucks a month goes a long way. Or you can share this podcast on social media, uh, write a review, or tell a friend about it. We appreciate any support we can get. It really means the world to us. Also, if you guys are in need of any sort of supplements, I can set you up there too. Protein powder, vitamins, energy drinks, you name it. I've got you covered. And I'm talking about the good stuff too. Not the vitamins with a bunch of filler. This is high quality stuff. Did you know that 80% of the people with COVID are vitamin D deficient? Nah, they're not telling you that. Well, I can get you vitamin D. You want to be taking 5,000 IUs a day. Zinc and C are really important too. I can get you all that. Energy drinks, uh, good healthy ones that give you a nice sustained energy throughout the day. Not the sugary crappy ones. Hit me up. You can find me at big-things-crewing.com. Send me an email and I can send you all the links to the good stuff. Let me know what you guys need. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Life is short. Do big things.